Hello and welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast. My name is Dr. Benjamin Browning and as we get started I would encourage you to like, share, and leave a review on this podcast. It helps the channel out. Also, you can purchase my book called Facing the Mob, Rome, the Crowd, and the New Testament. It really helps us out. Hello, and welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast. We have a treat today. I get to have my friend Corey Barnes, uh, Dr. Corey Barnes, on the uh, on the podcast. And I'm going to allow you, Corey, to introduce yourself. So go ahead and just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, so my name is Corey. I uh, serve at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I teach Old Testament and Hebrew and also work with our distance learning stuff. So uh, online learning and extension centers and our uh, kind of on-campus hybrid things. So uh, um, have a lot of fun doing that. I serve as one of the pastors at First Baptist New Orleans. I do uh, I'm the discipleship pastor there. I'm married to Kayla. We've been married for 11 years. We have two little girls, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. So just tons of fun right now with that. We're also foster parents. So depending on the day, we could have other kids running around our house. So uh, we're actually Typically, we we do mostly like babies, so crawling around our house, not not usually running around. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So for me, as a New Testament guy, it's exciting to have you on. I got to talk to. Uh, I did an interview yesterday. Like people listening to it, it won't be yesterday, but yeah. I got to do an interview yesterday with JP. And um, just anytime as a New Testament guy, I get to sit here and talk with an Old Testament guy. It's really helpful. And particularly you, because you have in your master's program, you are more focused on the New Testament Mm -hmm. and then kind of changed gears into the Old Testament. So uh, so I think this should be a good talk. So we will we will go ahead and jump into this. And um, so my first question is, what are the when we're thinking about the Old Testament use of the New Testament, sometimes called intertextuality, right? Mm -hmm. Or excuse me, the New Testament use of the Old Testament, rather sometimes called intertextuality. Um, what are the primary challenges for you, especially kind of having both of those, having that New Testament mindset some, but also being your main wheelhouse being in the Old Testament? What are some of the challenges that come to mind? Yeah, so I think what we can do on that, Ben, is kind of break that down into two sets of challenges. So let's let's start off just talking about, as Christians, when we come to the Bible, kind of thinking about if you grew up in church or if your primary uh, like like arena for reading the Bible has been the church or is now the church, think about it there. And then we'll talk about a couple of things that are a little bit more academic in nature, but mm-hmm. still are broadly applicable. Right. So so I think for most of us and uh, I started going to church whenever I was 12, 13 years old, uh, you know, it was a typical southern evangelical church. And, and so one of the big difficulties that we can have is this misconception that's I don't think explicitly stated in most church contexts, but it's there. And that is that there's some foundational difference between the way God interacts with people in the Old Testament and the way God interacts with people in the New Testament. And, uh, and, and an oversimplification of this is that in the Old Testament, God is basically the same as Zeus from Greek mythology. He's uh, like, like an, an angry old guy in the sky who's ready to zap you with a lightning bolt. Um, one of the ways that we do often explicitly say this is that in the Old Testament, God is full of law and wrath. Um, and then that God in the New Testament somehow magically transforms and God is no longer, you know, angry with a lightning bolt, 
but God, the father is now like your hippie grandpa in the sky. You know, he's all about peace and love and just wants to pour out blessings on you. I mean, that's a huge problem because if we implicitly assume a foundational change in God, not only does that give us tons of problems theologically, but just from reading the Bible, right? That's, that's going to make it very hard to engage. It's going to mean that what we do is that we emphasize God's wrath in the Old Testament, and then we de-emphasize God's wrath in the New Testament. I would say we see it both places. We ignore God's mercy and grace in the Old Testament, and we only read in God's mercy and grace, particularly of God the Father in the New Testament. So I think that's a big problem there, man. Um, uh, look, another thing would just be like, this is, this is obvious, but the Old Testament's really old, um, yeah. you know, and much older than the New Testament. And I, I think that's something that we look back at the Bible, the, the Old and New Testament are ancient documents. But we're dealing with, you know, material that comes from, you know, a thousand years before, in some cases, a lot of the material in the New Testament, maybe sometimes even further back than that. We're dealing with historical periods that are 2000 years or more before the events in the New Testament. When we're reading a book like, uh, like, you know, Genesis, um, you know, in the patriarchal narratives. So so we have some of those challenges as well. And that means that the even though the worldview of the New Testament is still very different from our world today we're dealing with an, an additional layer of difference whenever we go back into the Old Testament. So those are two things I would say. From an academic perspective, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, people, you know, like you and I, Ben, who have, have a high view of the authority of Scripture, right? So we're doing scholarship from that perspective. A lot of the folks like us have primarily looked at the Old Testament as a set of predictions about what's going to happen in the New Testament. And I think a, a challenge can be that when you really dig into the New Testament and you look at the New Testament as God's revelation to his people, that's simply not what you find. Now, we'll clarify through this conversation. That doesn't mean the Old Testament isn't driving us towards the message of the New Testament. But the idea that the Old Testament is 39 books that basically function as some type of elaborate crystal ball uh, just doesn't hold up, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to kind of you know, circle back around to uh, to what you were saying initially uh, in a previous interview, again, with JP, that same issue came up, this idea of, uh, and kind of the Marcion approach to God. It's like, he's this big, bad God in the Old Testament, and he's pretty much a different God by the time you get to the New Testament. It's totally different God. Yeah, so I think there is almost this kind of implicit a Marcion view that makes it into the church now. And mm -hmm. I think what you said, I think that's extremely helpful. Um, he's not different. Um, and, and real quick, just to kind of dig into that a little bit more, like what would be some examples in the, in the old Testament where you see God showing, showing grace and mercy, things that we tend to associate with the New Testament. Yeah. Um, so, man, let's go all the way back to Genesis. We could talk about Genesis 3. Actually, let's talk about Genesis 3, right? Uh, so, so what is God's disposition at the fall? And I would just encourage us as readers of the Old Testament to ask the question, God, does God seem quick to exercise his wrath on humanity when the man and the woman fail to meet the command that God has given and they, they seek goodness outside what God has said is good 
reject his authority and, and buy into the lie of the serpent that God's holding out on them, right? Does God's disposition seem to be, let's strike them dead as quick as possible? Or does God immediately turn to a, a redemptive story that is going to undo this sin? And we see the latter. And so, so I would just say that that's a, in Genesis three, we see God's disposition is he is not quick to punish us for our sins. Mm. Instead, what he is quick to do is he's quick to create a narrative and a story and to immediately begin working in a way that's going to restore humanity. And if you want to see it in an even like more defined way, that's just really easy to understand, even if you don't really uh, look at a lot of in-depth theological things about the biblical narrative, Genesis four, how does God respond to, uh, to, to Cain murdering his brother, right? Uh, he responds with grace and mercy, even extending a, a mark to Cain, which is while it does mark him for his sin, also ensures that he's going to have mercy poured out on him by, by other image bearers. Right. So, so I think we see that right away, man, in the biblical story. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's not typically what I think of, but now that you mentioned that, it's like, well, yeah, obvious. Yeah. Like, just kind of as soon as you start out the biblical narrative, it kind of mm-hmm. hits you right in this idea of grace and mercy from the very beginning right. is right there and just is a through line. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not in the New Testament all of a sudden, oh, well, now you have this uh, grace or people from certain views would say maybe there's this age of grace. It's a it was, it was an age of wrath and now it's an age of grace. It's like, no, we don't see, there's a through line of grace. Right. Of God being gracious in his character. Yeah, that's, that's extremely helpful. And um, yeah, so looking at kind of your, uh, your later point of kind of viewing uh, the Old Testament as kind of a, a crystal ball um, and kind of looking forward to the New Testament. Yeah, I think we miss... I think we miss the reality that it is a continuous story mm-hmm. when we do that. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, I think a challenge for the church is that the old Testament can be like you were saying, because it's, it's, it's very removed. It can very much feel like a foreign country and people mm-hmm. read the old Testament and they're just like, ah, I don't even know what to do. They make it as far as the last part of Exodus. Right. The last they, they make it as far as the last part of Exodus. Maybe they gut through and make it into the first part of Leviticus. And then they're just like, man, I don't I don't even understand this world. Right. And and I mean, and 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 there's a reason for that, right? Because they I would even say they're gonna make it through like Exodus 32, 33. And 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 one of the reasons it's gonna start happening like basically once we lose the narrative structure, that's very easy for us to see in the, uh, what we would call the Pentateuch in the first five books. Uh, and, and what we fail to do is we fail to read Leviticus, uh, a lot of the passages in numbers, all of Deuteronomy, we fail to read it in its, its context as a part of that bigger story that the first five books are telling. And I will just, it's going to seem, man, it's going to seem crazy if you don't read it within that narrative framework. Um, and that's something, Ben, that I, I think it's one of the reasons, man, that guys like you and I have, you know, God's called us to theological education because we want people in churches to read the Bible and be able to connect. Man, why is Leviticus so weird? Well, it's because of the story that was told in Exodus, right? Like, like God has now said he's going to dwell in the camp with this people. 
And if you're going to be a people that's marked by this, this unbelievably different designation that God dwells with you, you're going to, if, if you're, if you're a sinful and unholy people that has a holy God dwelling in your midst, it's time to prepare for things to look pretty strange because that's a strange and gracious situation. Right. Yeah. And that's a concept that we see carried into the new Testament. This idea, right. the idea of God dwelling among us. What is it? Yeah. What does it look like for God to dwell among us um, as a people? Um, and that was not on the, the docket for us to talk about today, but I'm like, we might have to, to flesh that idea out uh, a little bit more um, at, at a later time. But, but real quick, before we move on from kind of the general topic here, uh, let me just ask you, what would you say are some of the, um, for non-specialists, because most of the people watching, well, listening to this, are going to be, they're not going to be biblical scholars, most likely. Uh, so for non-specialists, how should they navigate these kinds of issues? The, the, the struggles of bringing the Old Testament and our understanding of the new and kind of that intertextuality, what would be some ways to navigate that? Yeah. Um, so so let, me, let me start with the, the activity that I think is essential here. And that is that you read the Bible. I, I love to talk about Miss Vivian and, and, and Miss Vivian was a woman that I, I pastored very early in my ministry. She's one of the best biblical scholars that I've ever met. She didn't have a day of theological training. She had just read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible. And every time there was teaching that, that she recognized because of her time in the word as biblical teaching, Man, she took notes. She dedicated herself to this. And, and so what happened was, was that because her desire and her prayer in reading the Bible was to encounter the God who was speaking to her through the Bible, she developed this robust understanding of how Christ was revealed to her through the Old Testament and how the triune God was revealed to her through the Old Testament. And guys, I'm, I'm talking about a woman who is, she, she lived in Resaca, Georgia, did not see herself as a Bible scholar, but I'm telling you, she was. So that's the that's the activity for this man is that you read the Bible. Um, the the second thing that I would say is is that in our reading the Bible, I think there's a a shift in the way we think about what the Bible is doing. The Old Testament in particular that would be really helpful for us, and that is let's stop seeing the Old Testament as being primarily about predicting what Christ is going to do, but let's see the Old Testament as creating expectations for what God is doing and is going to do with His people. That then when we come to the New Testament, we say all of a sudden, all of that was pointing us towards Christ. So those expectations. So, so basically, as I read the Old Testament, it makes me keep expecting things that, man, I expect God is going to work in such a way. And that whenever I see what God does through Christ, through the incarnation, and then the death and resurrection of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit, I say, that's what it was all about. And so once I know that part of the story, which when I've received the gospel, I do know that part of the story, then all of a sudden I read back through everything else. And then all those expectations, they create deeper understandings and deeper affections for what God has done in Christ and in the sending of the spirit. So, so just simply put expectations, not predictions in the way we think about what the old Testament's doing. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a helpful distinction it's building an expectation because if you're seeing it as building an expectation, you understand that the new Testament is part of that narrative. Right. And if you just look at it as a crystal ball, you're like, 
oh, well, I have the things that it predicted, so I don't need the Old Testament. You know, exactly. So and, that that change in view is really helpful. And you're left with the question, right? If that's what God's desire was in the Old Testament is just to give us predictions. Why didn't he just give us Matthew instead of Genesis? Which right. we confess that God perfectly knows the future. So God could have done that. He could have just revealed the entire text of Matthew. And we yeah. could have had that for 2000 years before Christ. But instead, God does something that as Christians, we need to understand is far better. What Christ does or what God does is he gives us this revelation of himself to his people so that we look back to it on this side of the revelation that God's always been moving his people in this direction. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's extremely helpful. So we will stop the interview right there. Um, But if you are interested in learning some specific examples about intertextuality, I encourage you to listen to the next episode. Thank you for listening to the New Testament Setting Podcast. I encourage you to share this with friends, to leave a review, and also to purchase my book, Facing the Mob, Rome, the Crowd, and the New Testament. It really helps the channel out.